This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Monday night, don't miss at 9 p.m. The war in Israel, where are we headed? Now let me tell you a little about the man that's going to be speaking here Monday night. There is a thing called Torah Anytime. It's right now facing me. TorahAnytime.com has shiurim that are played on the internet. If chas v'shalom, you're on the internet. It's played on the internet um, all over the world. The number one rabbi that gets the most hits on TorahAnytime.com is Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi. And I just, we decided that we got to get the number one man into our Nava. And Baruch Hashem, he agreed to come this Monday night to speak. He is amazing. If you want to sample how he speaks, you can... No, I can't send you there. But if you happen to be on the internet, you could see what, what he says. And, um, and he is amazing. I have heard him speak. I have heard he has, he has gone one-on-one against a priest... Judaism against um, Christianity. It is absolutely amazing to listen to this man. So right after Rabbi Lamb at 9 o'clock, I think in between they're going to say a little Tehillim for Eretz Yisrael, and then Rabbi Mizrahi will be here. Amir Hashem, I really hope that they'll let me in the front door to hear him. Okay. We're learning tonight. Lili Nishmas, Ketzal Avram by Yisrael, Rafush Lehman for Rabbi Yisrael, Noah ben Hinda, Eliezer Yedidi ben Michal, Rifol Chaim ben Chana. Chaim Yorna ben Dava, Avram Yisro ben Chayalea, Mordechai ben Yente, Esther Rezel bas Dava, Henya bas Freida, Chana bas Freida, Rivka bas Gittel. We said Rabbi Yisro, Moshe Yechiel ben Brindel, Yeah, you did the ben Michal, Rafol Chaim ben Haina. Avram ben Esther, Menachem Mendel, ben Chaya Masha, Peretz Yehuda ben Miral. At Yehuda bas Chaya Fegel, Rochel bas Miriam, Nechama bas Sarah. So Repesel bas Brindel, Yita, Shane Fegel bas Dina, Rochel, Liba bas Rivka Lea, Rochel Lea bas Elia, Moshe, Rafina bas Rosa, Kamala bat Malka, Nina bat Ida, and Ida bat Tanya. Mina Gittel bat Chana, Rosa bat Chana, and Esther bat Hensha. For Shalema, for Rucham Achava Bela bat Chaya, Ratzafega bat Chaya, Uri ben Rivka, Avraham. Yeshaya? Yeah. Huh? Yeshaya ben Michal. And Avraham Moshe Marachai ben. Ben Michal, it says. Okay, Avraham Yeshaya ben Aviva. And Avraham Moshe Mordechai Ben Sarabela. Before Shalema. What am I missing? What am I missing? Where? The white paper. This one. The back. I said it. Yeah. Thank you anyway. We appreciate it. Okay. All right. So tonight's shear. Um, some of you have heard the beginning of the shear. But I need to say the beginning of the year in order to get to the point that I'm going to make, a point which I have never made in all five years that I've been speaking Chabura, Baruch Hashem. It came to me uh, when I was preparing this year, or actually the boys' year, the girls' year, and I'm very excited about it, and I hope Hashem gives me the Siat Ishmaya to give it over to you. So, there's, there's a thought that when we, when we learn that, when we learn Chumash when we're growing up, Right, so like the Chumash is a very happy, the Chumash is a happy thing. The Torah Shabbat is a very happy thing. And every, everything, you know, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yosef, Moshe, life is great, right? They get out of Mitzrayim, everything seems to work out. But if you really look at the Torah, there's a lot of tragedy. And things don't always work out. Of course, it's Gamzul The word Gamzul means 
that to me it looks really bad, but gam zula even though it looks bad, I know deep down that it's really good because Hashem only does good. But if it was really good, then I wouldn't say gam zula Right? When a baby's born, you don't say gam zula tova. When you, when you, when you, you get engaged, you don't say gam zula tova. It's when, when chas v'shalom, the guy after five dates says no, that's when you say gam zula tova. You don't say gam zula tova when things are great, right? So, so gam zula tova means that things are not so great, but I understand that everything Hashem does is good for me. So if you really look into the Torah, and this is a, such an important subject that I'm speaking about tonight, um, I, I think it's going to open a lot of hearts and a lot of minds. So when you look at the Torah, you look at the beginning of the Torah, so you have Adam and Chava, perfect. They're in Gan Eden, the perfect marriage, right? They're in Gan Eden, everything's perfect. Everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. She eats from the Eitz they get cursed, and the Medrash says that after she came from the Eitz Hadas, Adam and Chava separated, Right? They separated for 130 years. They weren't together. That's a very long separation. Now, how long were they married before they went into this 130-year separation? Not even a day. Not even a day. They got married Erev Shabbos. She gave him from the Eitz Hadas right before Shabbos. And after she came from the Eitz Hadas, it says, because of what happened, he separated from her for 130 years. Is that a good story? Is that a happy story? And we go a little bit further in the Torah, and what happens? The whole world is destroyed. Yes, it's very nice. Noah and his wife and his kids, they got into a boat with a couple of animals, and they made it out. But if you really look at what happened, Hashem destroyed Every human being in the world was killed. Every animal. Imagine the pita, you know, these pro-animal things, but they would have said, every animal was killed. Every plant was destroyed. The world was destroyed. It's a tragedy. And then, right after that, we have the story of Avraham, Avinu, and his wife, Sari Menu. And we learn it, and it's a great story. He marries her in 90 years. She has a baby, and the Malach comes. If... Sari Imenu was anyone, if, if she was the, the teacher in Beis Yaakov or the teacher of the school, and this was your teacher, and she's such a tsnua. We know that Sari Imenu, that Avraham Avinu didn't even know what she looked like. He saw her when he was going down to Mitzrayim, she bent over to get some water. He saw her face in reflection. So he never even saw what Sari Imenu looked like. So, I mean, that's tsnua. There was no one more tsnua, right, than Sari Imenu. She was such a big tzadikist that, that, that it says... Rashi says that she had higher and bigger Ruch HaKodesh than Avram Avinu. And Avram Avinu was no small fry. She had more Ruch HaKodesh than him. So this is your teacher. And she comes to school. And she's teaching you Yiddishkeit and everything. Right? And she's just married. She's 20 years old. And she has no children for 5 years. And she has no children for 10 years. And everybody in school is walking around, you know. We have to daven for Mora. She doesn't have children ready for 10 years. All the other teachers have children. And then there's no children for 20 years. And there's no children for 30 years. And there's no bona olam. There's no organization to help you having children. Sari Imenu didn't have children until she was 90 years old. The greatest tzaddikista that lived at the time 
She didn't have children until she was 90 years old. And at 90 years old, she didn't expect to have children. When the malachim came, she laughed. So what about all those years? Davening every month, not becoming pregnant. You should never know about it. For people who don't become pregnant right away, it's, it's like they don't have children for four years. It's tragedy every single month when the woman doesn't become pregnant. It's mama should, it, 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 it's tish above that day waiting for that child. It's peer pressure, whatever it is. Sorry, man who waited 90 years. She didn't have children. We read the story, yeah, big deal. 90 years she didn't have children. And you go over a little bit further, right? You come to Rivka. Anyone who has, you should never know from it. A child that's a little bit off the derech, a child at risk. When I, when I opened my high school for kids, for the girls that were not in school, so after the first week, a parent came in to Rev. Wallstein and, you know, you think that you saved my child. You saved my marriage. You saved my family. You saved me. She said, you know why I look like the way I look? I haven't slept in two years. I haven't had a night's sleep in two years. My daughter's on the street. I'm up a whole night waiting for her to come in at 4.30 in the morning. I have no life. My husband has no life. We have no life. Now we have a life. We know she comes home early because she has to go to school the next day. We know where she is the whole day. That's a child that's on the streets of, of, of let's say, Brooklyn. Rifki Imenu had an ace of. She had a son that was a murderer, that was a balabay de Zora, that was a immoral, did every Avera and Gilead Royas. She knew what her son was. You want to say Yitzchak didn't know? Maybe yes, maybe no. But she knew who her son was. The pain that Rivka went through, having a child at risk, he was past at risk, Esav. Tragedy. Sari Imenu, Rivka Imenu, Rachel Imenu, Leah, her whole life being told that her shidduch was Esav. Sitting and crying. The Torah tells you very straight. She didn't say Gamzul Torah. She sat every day and cried, every single day, and cried because she knew that she's going to have to marry Esau. They were swollen with tears. Tragedy in the Shidduch world. Rachel Imenu giving birth to Binyamin and dying, never seeing her son's bris, her son's bar mitzvah, her son's wedding, being buried. Not with Yaakov, being buried by herself in Beis Lechem. Tragedy. Yosef HaTzadik. Tragedy. Sold by his brothers. Where does it end? Look at the Torah. Look what goes on. The Egel. The complaints. The four-fifths of the Jews that died by Chosheth. It's not such a happy five books of Moses. There's a lot of stuff going on which we don't focus on. And there's a very important reason that the tragedies are in the Torah just like the triumphs. And I think it's brought out in this week's parsha the best. I always say that Moshe Rabbeinu is one of my favorite heroes in the Torah. The Zayah says that every single Jewish person, woman or man, has a nitzot, has a, a flag, a DNA flag, a spark, every single Jew from Moshe Rabbeinu, or you could not learn Torah. 
You could not be close to Hashem if you don't have DNA from Moshe Rabbeinu. Why do we need DNA from Moshe Rabbeinu? We have DNA from Avraham Avinu. We're, we're Balei Chesed. Why do we need to have DNA from Moshe Rabbeinu? What kind of DNA does a girl have from Moshe Rabbeinu? So I'm going to tell you. This is very important for teachers, for parents, before I answer the question, for principals, for anybody that deals with children. There's a medrash that everyone knows, we learn about it when we're in school, that Moshe Rabbeinu was a shepherd, and he was going with his flock, and he counted them, and he realized that one of the flock was missing. And he understood that this little sheep had run back, far from the flock, to go back to the water hole that they, had, that they had just come from. So Moshe Rabbeinu went back to the water hole, and he found this little shepsel, this little sheep all by himself, and the medrash says that he took this sheep and he put it on his shoulder. And he carried the sheep back on his shoulder, back to the rest of the flock. He didn't get angry and take a stick and say, what did you do? Why are you running away from the rest of the chevra? And give him a smack? He didn't do that. What he did is he took this little shepsel and he put it on his shoulder and he brought it back. And the Medrash says that the Malachim, Hashem said to the Malachim, that is going to be the leader of Klai Yisrael. A person who puts the sheep on his shoulder and doesn't make it walk back on its own, even though it did the wrong, it ran away from the flock. That's going to be the leader of Klai Yisrael. And that's how we learn the story. The story is much deeper because, come on, you think Moshe Rabbeinu was the first shepherd to put a sheep on his shoulders? I'm sure there were many other shepherds that took the sheep and carried them on the shoulders. You're going to wait till the little thing walks a little slowly. Put it on the shoulder and he walked it back. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do here that Hashem said to the Malachim, check out this person. This person is going to be the leader of Klai Yisrael. So if you look closely into the Medrash, it's an amazing Medrash. It says that when Moshe Rabbeinu picked up this little sheep, this little Shepsula, he said to the sheep, I'm carrying you on my shoulder and I'm asking you forgiveness because had I let you drink long enough when all the other sheep drank, you wouldn't have had to run away. Therefore, the reason you're thirsty and you ran away from the rest of the flock is my fault. And since it's my fault, it's my job to let you drink, to let you drink your fill, and then to carry you back. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, that's a true leader. And therefore, before you throw a kid out of yeshiva, before you throw a kid out of your class, maybe say to yourself, it's my fault that this kid is out of hand. Maybe I didn't give this little Shepsala, who's running away from the rest of the flock, enough time, enough love, enough care that's a teacher that's a principal that's a leader that's a parent as parents one of the things that we always say when a kid's misbehaving is you know what you're doing to me you know how you're hurting me you know how you're hurting your father you know what you're doing to us you know what that, that kid hears blah 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 that's all the kid hears Mother screaming or father screaming, blah, 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 blah. They don't hear one word you're saying. You know why? Because it's all about you. Do you know what you're doing to me? Do you know what you're doing to us? Do you know what you're doing to your school? Do you know what you're doing to your principal? I'm not interested in what I'm doing to everyone else. It's all about all you guys. Why don't we say, do you know what you're doing to you? As parents, when we're, 
upset at our children because they stepped out of line, why don't we say to the child instead of, you, you know what you're doing to your father? He's going to have a heart attack. And sometimes the kid says, I really don't care because it's not about dad. I'm suffering. I'm reaching out. It's about me. And all you're talking about is you and dad and school and the name of the family. You know what you're doing to the name of the family? I don't care about the name of the family. I'm suffering. Why doesn't mom say, do you know what you're doing to you, to yourself? We're always busy about, you hurt me. You hurt me so deeply. Do you know what you did to me? Blah, 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 blah. That's not what the child wants to hear. The mother says, or the father says, Shaifullah, you know what your behavior is doing to you? It's not about me. It's not about your father, the name of the last name of the family, the mishpacha, the school. Shaifullah, it's about you. You're hurting yourself. That kid is listening to what you have to say after that. But when you start saying, oh, you're hurting, you have so much money I spend on you, you know what you're doing to us? You know we're fighting because of you? Blah, blah, blah. Nah, I don't care what's happening to you. It's happening to me. The reason I'm, I'm behaving like this is because I'm, we're going through, and all I hear from everybody is, you know what you're doing? And then you go t- to talk to somebody, and they're like, how can you do this to your parents? How could you do this to your family? And again, the kid's going, I go to my therapist, they want to know why I'm doing, how am I doing this to my family? I go to my parents, they want to know, you're killing us. I go to my school, they're like, you're giving the school a bad name. What's with me? Nobody's talking about me. I don't want to hear what anyone else has to say. Moshe Rabbeinu taught us this in this medrash. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Shepsalah, it's not about me that I have to come schlep in the middle of the desert to come pick you up. It's about you. You wouldn't have to come back for water if I would have been more patient and let you drink more water. Kushbohu said, that's what I need to lead Klai Yisrael. Somebody that looks at, that if there's a problem in Klai Yisrael, it's the leader. It's not the Jews, it's the leader. And so many times Moshe Rabbeinu blames himself for what happened in Klai Yisrael. Because that was him. That's who he was. And that's how we have to be as teachers. If there's something going wrong in our class, we have to ask ourselves, maybe I didn't give this kid a good hello this morning. Maybe the kid asked, called me and I said, I'll call you back, and I didn't call you back. Maybe I promised him a prize and I never gave it to them. Maybe it has to do with me. And that's a leader and that's a teacher. And that's a very big lesson from this medrash. And that doesn't answer my question. That's a little bit about Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. So now in order to answer my question... I'm going to take you a little bit through the history of Moshe Rabbeinu, which I usually do. And then I'm going to explain to you two psukim, and you're going to see something new tonight in these two psukim. So, let's look at a little bit at Moshe Rabbeinu, at his life. And I talk about this every year. Moshe Rabbeinu, if he lived in our time, would be in therapy. He would be on medicine. He would probably be in a special class. And maybe, I'm not trying to make a joke, maybe even in rehab. Because there's nobody in the world that went through it what he went through. Today, you know, is the generation of, it's not your fault. No matter what you do, it's not your fault. It's your mother's fault, your father's fault, your Rebbe's fault, the school's fault, the world's fault, America's fault. But we have to make sure one thing, that nobody ever gets blamed for anything they do. That's this generation. Chas v'shalom. You were born that way. It's in your chemistry. It's in your DNA. It's not your fault. First thing, any therapy, and I'm not ragging on therapy, chas v'shalom. I don't do that. 
but you should just know. I said this. I said this yesterday in Chabura that that anyone who's going to be a, who's a psych major and who's going for psychology and going for a degree, you should know one thing: that you have to go to college to get a degree and to help other people. So there's a derech that you have to go through. You have to never learn those Tomadika books who were written by a guy named Freud and a couple of other mushchasim, low-life drunks, behemoths that wrote these books that needed definitely psychologists more than anybody else. But you have to learn that in school because that's the only derech to go through. But don't you believe one word of it? Because if you want to know psychology, you take it from the Torah. This week's Parsha is the class. In fact, somebody came over to me after I said this, a a, a therapist, and said to me, Ray Wallace, why don't you teach psychology from the Torah in college? Because you'll hear the psychology from the Torah is way above and way beyond. You don't have a choice. You have to learn Freud and you have to learn all this other garbage because that's how you get a degree. But these are not Teredika people. These are not the thoughts of Hashem. This is not, this is not coming from great tzaddikim and great rabbis. This is coming from, you know, like, like literature. I don't want to, you know, whoever's a literature teacher, but hey, I, you know, loved Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe was a Meshuggah drunk that lived in the sewers that wrote poems that became very famous. William Shakespeare was a lowlife. These are, the, these are the people who made it very big. But that doesn't mean that you need to believe in this, that you need to believe in this. You want to know anything about literature, about beauty? You read Shir Hashirim. You want to know anything about psychology? You learn the Torah. I want you to hear a little bit of a psychology situation that happened in this week's parsha. So you have Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's take a look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, number one. Number one, we all know that his parents separated, right? They separated. They didn't want to have him. Why? Because they had Aaron and they had Miriam. And then Paro came out and said, we're going to kill all the firstborn boys. And, Aaron, and, and Amram said to his wife, Yocheved, well, what are we going to, what are we, we'll have another child. They'll either take the boy and throw him into the, into the Nile River, or they'll kill him and use the blood for the bathtub of Paro to get rid of his saras. So what are we doing? We're separating. We're not having any more children. That's what they did. Along came Miriam. She was a little bit chutzpahdik. And she told her parents, you are worse than Paro. Paro only wants to kill the boys. You're killing the girls. Because if you would have a baby girl, then nothing would happen to her. So why are you separating? How do you know you're going to have a boy? Maybe you're going to have a girl. So you're worse than Paro. So Amram and his wife, Yochebed, accepted this. And they came back together. And they had the child called Moshe Rabbeinu. Imagine his friends told him, hey, I read the Torah today. You know what it says? It says your parents separated. They didn't want to have you. You are an unwanted child. They separated so they wouldn't have you. That's a couple of weeks of therapy right there. <laughs> okay. Girls, I have to ask you, you know, some of you, maybe some of the women in this room did this. I, 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 get, I get text messages on my phone. Now, I know that everyone's very excited when they have a baby, that they take a picture right away of the baby, and they send it to all their friends. You don't realize that I'm on your phone, too. So when you send the pictures to all your friends, I get this picture of this little mushy face, right? <laughs> On my phone, I have no idea that my daughter in Israel have a, a baby. Uh, who is this? What is this? You know, sometimes I'm not even sure it's a baby. I'm not sure because of the picture, right? And I don't know what's flying over there. But, but you know, everyone gets excited. And, and by the way, I, I, I have to tell you, I screamed at my boys, and, and I'm going to tell you the same thing. You know, I'm not into text messaging. If you have to, you have to. But every Friday, in the old days, the old days, like 15 years ago, every Friday was very beautiful within the 
45 minutes before Shabbos, my phone would ring, and Leah would call me, get Shabbos Rebbe, and Chaim would call me, get Shabbos Rebbe, and for like half an hour, my phone would be ringing, I'd pick up, get Shabbos, how are you, what's you doing? Today, I get that little thing, that, that little noise that you heard before in the back, that you got a text message, diddly, for, the, for half an hour before Shabbos, I get 900 of these, diddly, right? So, so I would be very happy if, if I got a diddly, right, and the text message said, hi, Rabbi Wallerstein, how are you? Have a good Shabbos. No, no. What they do is, all you guys, girls, you send out good Shabbos to everybody that's on your phone. So it doesn't say good Shabbos, Rebbe. It says good Shabbos. So I know that I'm one of the 600 people that you pushed, that your whole good Shabbos to me was, you pushed the button. Wow, emotional. What a relationship with a Rebbe. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. You really care about me, right? I get 600 of these every Friday. And then, on top of that, because you really have nothing to do with your lives, right? So Matzah Shabbos, I get a good Tavach the same way. The same 600. Good Tavach, a good Shabbos. Hanukkah, good Hanukkah. So I'm just like one of everybody else. I don't count. I'm nobody, right? Never. This is what happens. So I, I get these pictures of kids, right? Because everyone, when you have a baby, you think your kid is the most adorable, most gorgeous thing. And you know, when you walk in, you visit... You know what I'm talking about. You visit and she goes, oh, look at my little baby. Isn't she gorgeous? And you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of. Can you turn the baby around? Oh, that's the baby? Okay, fine. I wasn't sure. Wasn't 100% sure, right? So everyone thinks their baby is beautiful. Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu, finally, okay, you, you didn't want him, but you had him, right? So instead of sending pictures all across Mitzrayim, what do they do, says the Torah? Moshe Rabbeinu was born... They put him in a closet for three months. They hide him away from everybody for three months. Come on, Ma. You didn't, sh- you didn't show me off like, like everyone else? No, we put you in a closet for three months. And what happened when I came out of the closet? <laughs> what happened when I came out of the closet? Oh, when you came out of the closet? We took you. We put you in a little boat, right? And we stuck you on the Nile River. Have a good day. In fact... They never told Miriam to watch. We know Miriam did that. That was extra that she stood there and watched. So they pretty much told Miriam, take your brother, take him with this basket, and leave him in the Nile River, in the middle of the Nile River. Nice, right? So, I mean, hello, Moshe Rabbeinu reads his own story in the Torah. Hello? You didn't want me? You hid me? Now you abandoned me? Right? Okay, but he can handle it. He's a tough guy. He can handle it. Okay, so now what happens to Moshe Rabbeinu? Along comes Batya. Right? The daughter of, of Paro. And she adopts him. Adoption. That's not an easy thing to deal with either. So, hidden, not wanted, abandoned, adopted. Right? Okay. So where's he adopted? He's adopted. It, it, it's very funny the way I'm saying it, but it wasn't funny for Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay? He was adopted into the house, into the castle of the lowest kingdom in the world the, the most mushchasim the, the greatest tumah that was in the world 49 levels of tumah was in Mitzrayim where was Moshe Rabbeinu put? in the capital in the, in, the, in the head of the whole place in the castle of Paro and he's brought up as a Mitzri Ish Mitzri he's brought up as a Mitzri he doesn't go to Yeshiva of Goshen Beis Medrash Goshen, Kolo Goshen he goes to right Never. What is he? He goes to Cairo High. He goes to public school. He's being brought up in, in, by a mitzri. He's, he's, he's a public school boy. 
abandoned, adopted, and hidden. And now, which would normally happen to anyone in this situation, he has an identity crisis. All us majoring in psych understand he doesn't know who he is. Am I a Jew? My mother is a Jew. Or am I the prince of Egypt? And he has to make a decision. And at this point, since my mother abandoned me and stuck me into the Nile River, and my choice is really not Jew, not Jew Arab, but prince of Egypt, slave. Because the Jews were slaves. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a Jew, I'll have Kugel and Chulent, you know, hang out with them in Borough Park. That wasn't the deal. The deal was you're going to be a slave and you're going to work and you're going to get whipped and you right? So what's the choice over here? Of course I would make the choice that I want to be the prince of Egypt. Shabenu stood up, he got up, he said, I am a Jew. And I'm proud to be a Jew. He walked out of the palace. I'm a Jew. I'm giving up all this stuff. I'm a Jew. And what does he see? He sees a Mitzri hitting a Jew. He kills the Mitzri on the spot. And there's two Jews watching. Dustin and Aviram watching. And he's like, no. I'm one of you guys. See what I did? I didn't stand up for the Mitzri just because they brought me up. I'm a Jew. And they're like, nice. We're going to go tell Paro what you did. Excuse me? We're going to tell Paro what you did. And they ran to Paro, and they told Paro that we, your son, your adopted grandson, the prince of Egypt, just killed one of your men. And Paro chains him up, as we know, and puts him out in front of everybody. They put his neck on a stone, and they take a cherub, and they try to chop it off. His neck turns into marble, the cherub breaks, Moshe Beno runs away for his life. So I, I think if you could just put this in your head a little bit, that here he is, he stood up for Judaism, and what did the Jews do to him? They stabbed him in the back. They actually tried to cut off his head. They ran to... They ran and ran it on him. So he's done. Now he's running away. And the Medrash says he ended up in Ethiopia. He was king. Then Bilam's son came. He kicked him out. He comes to Midian. Now right now, Moshe Rabbeinu is not having a very easy time with human beings. Right? His mother abandoned him. He gets adopted. And the, and the guy who adopts him, his grandfather, right, tries to kill him with the ashes, with the crown. Then after that, he tries to kill him again. So it's not really like it's not like really working out for him very good. But he finally comes to Midian, and there are seven girls, there are seven daughters of Yisro, and they're coming to to, to draw water for, the, and the, the guys are giving them a really bad time. So he saves them, right? He's still a good man, and he says after all this abuse, doesn't matter. Girls in peril, I have to save them. He saves them, and they go running home. Dad, this guy saved us from all the shepherds. Moshe Ben is like, yep. We're going to get an award now. Right? He saved seven girls. And maybe he'll give me one of his daughters to marry. Uh, he did an amazing thing. He went up against all the shepherds. Yisro, the Medrash says, Yisro turns around and says, Ish Mitzri? He's running away from Mitzrayim? I'm not starting with was Yisro was an advisor of Paro who also ran away. He says, I don't need Mitzrayim sending their army here to, 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 to recapture him in my house. I'm going to, they're going to kill all of us. Take him. And put him in a dungeon for seven years. And don't feed him. That's it. He's going to die, the Medrash says. So here, Moshe Rabbeinu, once again, he saves them. Okay, what's my reward? Chain him and put him in a dungeon for seven years. The Medrash says those seven years he was in a dungeon, Zipporah fed him every single day. That's what kept him alive. So this is not an easy life. Read the Medrash. He was, Bilam's son ran after. He, Mamish didn't have an easy life at all. On top of everything that he had, as a little boy, we know the story that he burnt his tongue, he put his hand in the coals, Hashem the, put his hand in the coals so that he wouldn't take the crown. If he would have taken the crown, they would have killed him. And he put his fingers into his mouth and he burnt his lips 
and it was hot coals, if you understand what putting hot coals in your mouth. He burnt his tongue very badly, he burnt his lips very badly, and he could not talk. And he stuttered, and he lisped. And you can imagine in a land of Mitzrayim where everything was perfection, to have a little boy that's walking around, that's stuttering and can't talk, he hopped plenty of, plenty of busha, plenty of being embarrassed in front of everybody. I know a little bit, I've told you about it, I know a little teeny bit about what it feels like, I don't really know what that felt like, but as a kid I grew up, and in those days they weren't very sensitive, I had a terrible lisp, and they had just started speech at that point, and um, I was in Yeshiva Spring Valley, and this is 45 years, 43 years ago, 44 years ago, and um, they had just come in with intercoms, it was like major league, unbelievable, Yeshiva Spring Valley had intercoms. Intercoms was a huge box in your room with a little red light, and when the principal used to listen, the red light would go on, we would know, we'd behave, he got smart, he popped the, he popped the little red light, then we didn't know what he was listening, but they were very excited that they had an intercom. And everybody, like, that was their, their advertisement. Come to the new Yeshiva Spring Valley, we have intercom. So they had to make sure that everyone knew they had intercom. So every Wednesday at 3.15... You'd hear on the intercom, Wallerstein, room 315 for speech. <laughs> the whole school, from kindergarten until eighth grade, boys and girls, right? There was, they were in the same building, but there was a separation. Everyone had to know that I couldn't talk. And let me tell you, leaving my room every day when I had to go to speech, of course, all my f- friends, you know, when kids are very brutal, they're like, before you go, can you say, she sells seashells at the seashore. <laughs> and before I had therapy, I would say, thief fell, thief fell, that the thief thaw. And my whole class was cracking up. So they didn't have such rechmas. I felt a little bit what Moshe Rabbeinu, and, you know, and I, didn't, I didn't have a burnt tongue and burnt lips, Baruch Hashem, and I didn't stutter. And I, I could just figure a little bit what he went through. It must have been unbelievable. And this happened to him when he was a little kid. So he really went through a lot of stuff. And finally, he made a decision and he said, I'm done. I save a Jew, they try to chop my head off. I save a bunch of women, right? They throw me into a dungeon. I don't want to save nobody anymore. Saving doesn't pay. Doesn't pay. I'm going into the desert. I'll deal with the scorpions. I'll deal with the cactus. I'll deal with the snakes. That's not a problem. I don't want to deal with human beings anymore. I'm finished. So Moshe went into the desert. Of course, the minute you want to rest and relax and get away from people, who shows up? God. <laughs> Shalom Aleichem, the burning bush. You think you're going to come to the desert and get away from me? No, no, no. So what does Hashem want from him? So Hashem, you're going to help me out? No, I want you to go back to Mitzrayim, back to the guys who tried to kill you, back to the people who spoke Lashon Har on you, back to the people who abandoned you, back to the people who adopted you. I want you to go back to Mitzrayim, back to all that stuff, that you ran away from, which is a big limit in psychology. Face your fears. Don't run away. Hashem said, you can go back, you can face it all, and, but how can you? How can you face your fears? Hashem's going to tell them how. Right? Go back! Don't be running into the desert where there's no human beings. Yeah, you had problems, you had situations. Go back and face them. And Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, no. It's pretty severe. No, I am not going back to Mitzrayim. And this happened seven times. That Hashem said go, and he said no. The final time, I'd like to read to you some unbelievable psukim. Now all this you've heard from me, some of you before, but you must hear it again in order for me to get to the point that I want to make tonight. Okay. 
Perek Dalet Pasuk Aleph. And I hear this from children. So I'm telling you, the Torah is not giving us a psychology lesson. In the 30 years that I'm a Rebbe, I've heard this many, many times when I told the kid, you can do it, don't worry, you can get up in front of the class, you can say it's Vat Torah, you can do well on your test. And they gave me the same answer that, Hashem, that Moshe Rabbeinu gave Hashem. Bayan Moshe. And Moshe answered Hashem. Bayomer and he said, you're sending me to talk to the Jews and to the Egyptians? They will not believe me. Nobody listens to me. I talk and I talk and I talk, but nobody's going to listen to me. Who am I? A runaway Jew with, with a disability? I can't even talk. Who's going to listen to me? A little bit of low self-esteem. Kiyomru. Because Hashem, you know what's going to happen when I tell them that, I, that I'm the leader and that I can help Klaistro? What are they going to say? What are you making up stories? Hashem never appeared to you. You're dreaming. You're silly. You can't do it. He said to Hashem, I can't do it. Nobody believes in me. Nobody believes me. Nobody believes in me. What do you expect from him to say after everything he went through? I save people. And that's what I get for it. He says to Hashem, it's not going to work. Okay, we have this big psychologist. I'm telling you to learn psychology from the Torah. So now the greatest psychologist of all is God. So now let's hear the big words of God. Right? The kid in class is saying, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know you want me to do it. I can't do it. I don't have the ability to do it. I have this disability and that disability. And I'm going through so much in my life. I can't do what you want me to do, Hashem. Okay. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. What does Hashem answer? What does Hashem answer? What's like, let's get some like... Good answer, like, you got nothing to worry about, I'm God, we walk together, you know, like, we walk together, and when there's only one footprint, I'm carrying you, you know, some heavy good words, you know, that good stuff that we read in books, you know, come on, God, let's go, you know, what does Hashem say? So there's Moshe Rabbeinu waiting for his big answer, and he's standing there with his stick, he's the shepherd, and here's the big answer, by Yomer Eil of Hashem, and Hashem says to him, Mazer B'yodecha. What do you have in your hand? You, you, Hashem, I just told you. I, I can't do it. Nobody's going to listen to me. What are you asking me? You're answering, you're, you're answering questions with questions? Uh, you're Jewish? Why? <laughs> what's going on over here? What's Hashem asking him? Now that a time to ask him what's in my hand. And by the way, by the way, I mean, I have to tell you the truth. That, that if I'm in shul here with my chumash all alone at night at 2 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden there's a voice. Wallerstein. I'm like, is that you, Hashem? Yes. Wallerstein, what are you holding in your hand? I'm like, that ain't you, Hashem. Because if you don't know what I'm holding in my hand, you're not Hashem. Hashem is there, Hashem is here, Hashem is everywhere. Hashem knows everything. If a voice is asking me what's in my hand, holding, Hashem, if you don't know what's in my hand, I'm definitely not, you're not helping me get the Jews out of Mitzrayim. So, what's going on over here? It's Hashem asking him, he's telling Hashem, I'm broken, I don't believe in myself, nobody's going to listen to me. And Hashem's like, so, what do you have in your hand? Now, the, the, the question is very hard to understand. The answer is much harder to understand. So here's Moshe, he's brilliant, Right? Hashem's asking him this brilliant question. What's in your hand? What's his answer? Like, what's the true meaning of your question, God? What do you want to know? 
You're, you're, you're the omnipresent. You know everything. Right? That's what he should have said, right? He answers, one note in my hand? Mate, a stick. End of discussion. What's going on in this passage? Hashem's asking, what do you have in your hand? And he's answering, a stick. Good night. Have a good day. Therapy session over. <laughs> what happened over here? And I got news for you. I'm teaching a long time. If there's a kid sitting in front of my chair in the middle of class eating popping dipsy doodles in their mouth, right, with a big bag, dipsy doodles, boom, popping one after another, and I'm like, Chaim, what are you eating? If he says dipsy doodles, <laughs> I'm throwing that guy right out the front door. I know you're eating dipsy doodles. What he's supposed to say is, sorry, Rebbe, I'm sorry, I'll put it away. He's eating dipsy doodles in front of me with the bag. Of what, do you think I'm stupid? I want you to answer me dipsy doodles. I want you to put the bag away. So when Hashem says to him, what do you have in your hand? What kind of chutzpah is this? Answering Hashem amate. Of course Hashem knows amate. You should have said, what are you trying to tell me, Hashem? No, amate. This pasik, this pasik is one of the most loaded psukim in the whole Torah. Listen to the psychology between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu. Rashi says, don't say, what is in your hand? Say, read it that Hashem said to him, my answer to you that, you that you can't speak and that you're nervous and no one's going to listen to you, my answer is, the answer is from what's in your hand. And Hashem said, do you understand what's in your hand? And Moshe Rabbeinu said, yes, I understand the theory of the Mata. What Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu is, you keep saying, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not about you. You are just a stick in my hand. The stick in the hand, the power of the stick is the... You're all sleeping? <laughs> the power of the stick is the... The hand that holds it. Well, that was tough. <laughs> if it's a little kid holding the stick, you don't got to worry about it. If it's a girl holding the stick, you got to worry about it. <laughs> if it's a huge, muscular, six-foot-four guy holding the stick, you better run for your life. So... The bottom line is, the stronger the hand, the stronger the stick. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to Hashem, they're not going to listen to me. Hashem said, you? Yeah, you're right, they're not going to listen to you. This is not you. It's not about you. What is, learn from what's in your hand. If you turn it to the right, it goes to the right. If you turn it to the left, it goes to the left. If you lift it up, it goes up. It has no power of its own. The whole power is the hand that holds it. I'm holding you. You're going to be a mat in my hand. So they may not believe in you. Oh, they believe in me. So, Mizeh Biyadecha, so Moshe Rabbeinu answered, Aha, Mate, I'm a Mate. His answer was a one word answer. Mate, I understand now what you're telling me. Mizeh Biyadecha, Mate, I'm just a stick. A person is just a stick. Yeah, yeah, we think we have so much choice, we have no choice. Like I always tell you, you only have the choice to do what to do with the things you have no choice. You have no choice. Very little choice. Hashem put everything in my head. If you put everything in my head, so I have no choice. If it's coming from you, what happened to my choice? We dive in every morning. Hashem, give me the das. If you give me the das, if you give me the information what I should do, that means I have no choice. Every day you ask for, I don't want to have a choice, Hashem. Don't give me no choices, because I, as a human being, going to make the wrong choice. Make sure I have no choices today. That every thought I have, right? Investment made off, non-investment made off, I don't want to make that choice. You put in my head that I should have nothing to do with him. 
or chas v'shalom the other way around if you're supposed to lose money. For all those who don't know who Madoff is, welcome to America. You should know. But anyway, so this was the discussion. So Moshe Rabbeinu answered Hashem, he says, Aha! I am a mate. Now if you're a mate, you don't have anything to worry about. If you're a mate, then you're plugged in to God. If you're plugged into God, and the hand that's holding you is God, then you are the power of God. Everything's great. Moshe Rabbeinu, you have nothing to worry about. Don't worry about your disabilities. Don't worry about what you went through in life. You're plugged in. So, beautiful. Oh, that's therapy. That's not fair. Therapists can't say that. Therapists can't tell somebody, you're the stick in my hand. So Hashem, the grand therapist, he can get away with this. Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hashem and he says the following. After this, you figure, okay, I am the stick in God's hand. I can do anything. I can split the arm. Yeah, you could. I can bring ten mockers. Yeah, you could. Because you're in Hashem's hand. You're plugged into everything. Sadiqim, people went to ask Rav Chaim Kainevsky. Now the market's falling and the world is in big financial problems. So, so I know the rich, rich, really rich people in America, they fly there to Israel. They go to Rav Chaim. Now Rav Chaim learns 20 hours a day. Torah. He doesn't read the Wall Street Journal. He doesn't read the Barons. He doesn't have a degree in business and an associates and a bachelor's and a PhD and a PhD. He has nothing of this. He never went to college. Why? of the multi-millionaire Jews in America going to ask of Chaim, buy, sell, real estate, stocks. What do I do? Where do I invest? Hello, the man's learning Torah the whole day. What are you asking him? He, he, he doesn't know real estate. He doesn't, he doesn't know stock markets. He, he doesn't know the Wall Street Journal. He never went to college. But they're all running to all the Gedalim and Israel. How do I invest my money? What should I buy? What should I sell? Is this a good shidduch or not? Well, he reads romances. The boy said this, the boy said that. You know what the boy meant? They run to all of a sudden, where, where do they know any? Where, where, what do they know about this stuff? The answer is, they're a mate. They're plugged into God. If you're plugged into God, then you know everything about the whole world because everything that's controlled in the whole world is controlled by God. You plug into God, you know everything. So a tzaddik who sits and learns the whole day, Rav Chaim, he can give you advice on marriage, he can give you advice on anything in the world. And that's why people go to him even though he doesn't read the Wall Street Journal. And guess what? The people who read the Wall Street Journal are making all the mistakes. And if Rav Chaim tells you not to sell or yes to sell, that's the right answer. Because he's a mate. Because his whole life, he's, he's in Hashem's hand. He's misvatled himself. He has no, there's no being there. He belongs to God, 100%. So you would think at this point, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go. Right? Great session. Nothing doing. So, Hashem says to him, Hashlichayu, this is very important, Vayemelov Hashem, Take the stick and throw it on the floor. Now, what are we doing? Tricks? What's going on over here? Why should I take the stick and throw it on the floor? Because Hashem wanted to teach him an important lesson. You would think, if you're a mate, if you're a stick in Hashem's hand, great. And what happens if you're not a stick in Hashem's hand? Let's just say, Hashem, I, I don't want to be in your hand. I, I want to make my own choices. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be in your hand. I want to be stick out of your hand. So Hashem said to Moshe, let's see what happens to a stick out of my hand. So throw the stick down on the floor. He threw down the stick on the floor. He became a snake. And Moshe Rabbeinu became very scared of the snake. And he ran away. And we know that he was 20 feet tall. He was a gibor. He wasn't scared of snakes. Why did he run away? And the answer is Hashem wanted to teach us all a lesson. That there's two choices in life. Only two. You're either in my hand as a mata, Or you're out of my hand as a nachash. Don't think that if you're out of my hand 
that you're just going to be a good Jew. I'm a good Jew. So I'm not in God's hand. He doesn't control everything I do. I do my own thing, right? So, but I'm a good Jew. I'm a stick on the floor out of his hand. Okay, so I have no power, but I'm on the floor. No, said Hashem. You put the stick on the floor out of my hand, it becomes a nachash. It becomes a snake. You belong to the satan. You either belong to me or you belong to the satan. There's nothing in between. Forget it. There's nothing in between. And that scared Moshe Rabbeinu very much. What's going to happen to all the Jews that are not in Hashem's hand? You want me to lead a nation of Nechashim, of snakes? Vayanos. He ran away. He said, Hashem, you know what? I thought this was a tough job, leading the Jews. Now you're telling me that every Jew that's not in your hand is a snake. Uh, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Vayanos, I'm out of here. Hashem said, no, 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 no. No, there's something, there's something about Jews a little bit different. Hashem said, bend down, forget the mouth of the snake, it's a different shear. Take the znavai, take the, grab onto the tail of the snake, and you'll see that the snake will turn back into a mata. Hashem said, there's such a thing as called bali tshuva. There's such a thing as doing tshuva. And what you need to do to the Jews that are out of my hand, all you need to do is grab onto them, and they'll be back in my hand. And they'll turn back into a mata. There's a thing called tshuva. That's how Hashem answered him. So Kachoya, he grabbed onto the, the back of the snake. He became back into the mata in his hand. It's a very big limud. Okay, so this is very beautiful. Rabbi Austin's great share, nice, interesting, you're funny, everything's great. But what happened in the end? What's the, what's the end of the story? So we go a little bit further. Now at this point, he saw all these things. Mashabana should have gone. And this, these are the two psukim that I want to talk, to talk about. Not like I didn't talk about the other ones, but okay. Listen carefully. This is my share tonight. Okay, great therapy session. It's unbelievable. We're going to walk out here tonight. I'm a stick in God's hand. I'm a stick in God's hand. I'm a stick in God's hand. Beautiful, fantastic. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do that. And Moshe said to Hashem, Be Adoni. Please, Hashem. He begged Hashem. The word be is like when you say, please, Rabbi, don't make me get up in front of the class and speak. I don't speak well. I'm begging you. Don't embarrass me. Please, me. Please, don't do this to me. That's the washing of be. He's begging Hashem. He's begging God. I'm begging you. Don't do this to me. Don't make me go and speak in Mitzrayim. Right? It's a fair question. He's saying, please, my master. Now listen to this passage. Lo ish devarim God, you know that I can't speak. I have a, I have a disability. Gam mitzmo. Yesterday I couldn't speak. Gam shulshon. Many days ago when I was young, I couldn't speak. Now comes the very interesting words. Gam And while I'm speaking to you, as I'm speaking to you, I can't speak. That's what he tells Hashem. Why? Because I have a disability, I have a lisp, and I have a stutter. What is he telling Hashem over here? What is Moshe Rabbeinu telling Hashem over here? That I, as a kid I couldn't speak, yesterday I couldn't speak, and now I can't speak. Hashem knows that. And this is the answer to the opening of my share tonight. Moshe Rabbeinu was asking Hashem a question that all of us in this room and that most, of the Jew, most people in the world ask. Moshe Rabbeinu was asking Hashem in an indirect way the following. I never could speak when I was a kid. Yesterday, you knew that you were coming to me today to tell me to go down to talk to the Jews and talk to the Egyptians. Why didn't you fix me? Why didn't you fix me? I couldn't speak. 
You knew I couldn't speak. You're coming and telling me stories that you're going to turn water into blood, my stick into a snake, my hand into leprosy. You can do all these miracles. You're God. You're the power. I'm the stick, right? The stick is an extension of, the, of God. So if I'm an extension of God and you knew you were going to tell me to go down today, why didn't you fix my lisp? For you, it's nothing. Boom, my lisp is fixed. Boom, my stutter is fixed. You're coming to me. You're asking me to go down to the tribe with a disability. Why are you not fixing me? So yesterday, when you knew you were going to give me this mission, I should have woken up yesterday speaking beautifully, like Obama, <laughs> eloquently. Get up and speak, and everybody listens. So he asked Hashem, why did you do this to me? And then he said, okay, you didn't do it yesterday. You wanted to see my Amuna, But now you're talking to me. And as you're talking to me, you're telling me to go down to Mitzrayim and to do this. You know that I don't have such good self-esteem. And you know that I stutter. And you know they're going to make fun of me. The minute I walk in there, they're going to say, the Medjah says, what are the Egyptians going to say? Oh, your God, Yudke Vupke, is going to take the Jews out of Mitzrayim. He can't even fix your lisp. He's not even a speech therapist. So how are they going to take you out of Mitzrayim? They're going to make fun of me. Hashem, says the Medjah, says, Hashem, they're going to make fun of you. You're going to say, oh, God of Israel, he can't even fix this kid's stutter. Oh, he's going to take the Jews out. Oh, he must be really powerful. And Kachoya says the Medjah, they talk and make fun of Moshe Beno and Hashem. So Moshe Rabbeinu was saying over here to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he was saying, and while I'm speaking to you, you're talking to me, mouth to mouth. Why aren't you fixing me? What a question he asked Hashem. An amazing question. You have the power to fix me, so why don't you fix me? Now listen to this cryptic answer that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem Elav. And Hashem says to him, Mi sam pel adam. Who gave the mouth to a human being? Who made people blind? Who made people deaf? Who made people dumb that they can't speak? Aren't I Hashem? You hear an answer to Moshe Rabbeinu's question yet? Now you're making the question even bigger for me. If you're the one who makes people talk, it makes it, so you can fix it. If you made it, you can fix it. That's all Hashem says to him. No more discussions, no more fetching, no more whining. Lech, go. What was Hashem's answer to Moshe Rabbeinu? His answer is the following. We think that when we dive in and when we do the right thing, everything's going to be okay. I had a grandmother that was sick. Davin for her, said the whole Tehillim, she died. My father was sick. I remember the night that my, my father was sick, he was in the hospital, they were doing the biopsy. He had a tumor on his liver, they were doing the biopsy to find out if it's malignant or not. The doctor was Dr. Israel in Muncie, a from doctor, he came to me, I was sitting in the room with my father, and we knew that the next day they were going to take this biopsy, if it's going to be malignant or benign, and he said to me, listen, you know the Chazal that says that for Hashem to do a nace in public, right, you have to have a lot of schusim. But to do a nace in, in private, you don't need so many schusim. He said, listen, I have a widow who has a daughter who she's got to marry off tomorrow. And she has no money. And maybe if you pay for the wedding, right, so right now maybe it's malignant. 
but no one will know because we didn't do the test yet. So if you pay for the wedding tonight, maybe Hashem will make a nace that tomorrow will be benign, even if it was malignant, and no one will know he did the nace. And that kind of nace, it's easier for Hashem to do because you don't need somebody's chusim. I was like, how much is it? Seven and a half thousand dollars. I took out my checkbook. There's nothing to talk about. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my brother. It's going to be my secret tomorrow. They're going to do the biopsy. It's going to be benign, and I'm going to know that Hashem made a miracle because I paid for this person's wedding. And I was sitting there a whole night, and I was like, you are the best Hashem. You sent me, you know how you make your cheshman? You sent me the religious doctor. It happens to be that that day a girl needed a wedding. It all fit in my head. Perfect. Tomorrow it's going to be benign. And the next day, they take the biopsy, and my mother's like, why aren't you nervous? I'm like, God's, God's taking care of this, man. This, we, we took care of this. I, you know, I, I did what I had to do. He sent me the angel, Rabbi Israel, and, and just on that day, they were making a wedding. Uh, you know, it, it worked. It was perfect, right? Doctor comes back, not only malignant, but an aggressive, aggressive tumor. Maybe he has three months to live, and Taki, he, he lived three months. Shattered me! Shattered me! I, it, it, all, it was all supposed to work out. The doctor came, I paid for the wedding. What happened? So many times, girls, we're diving for a shidduch, we want a shidduch, and we're, we're getting a little bit older, and, we're, and, and, and they said, go, go, go to Amuka, and 40 days say Tehillim, and 40 days fast, and 40 days say Shir Hashirim, and make Shabbos early, and I'm doing all this stuff, and it's still not happening. Hashem, why don't you fix my mouth? If I can't talk, said Moshe Rabbeinu, fix me. What was Hashem's answer? Look at the Pasuk. Hashem said, I give a mouth to talk that can talk. But I also give a mouth that cannot talk. I give eyes that can see, but I also give eyes that can't see. I don't change the blind and make them see. I don't change the deaf and make them hear. The imperfection, the disability, is the perfection. And therefore... HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Ben-Nath exactly what he says in the Pasuk. He says, Va'atolech, go now, Va'anoichi, and I, Eheye, will be in Picha with this mouth that you have that stutters, that lisp, I'm going to be with this mouth, and I will be in your disability. I'm not changing. Why did Hashem say, I'm going to change you? You'll be able to talk. Hashem said, no, you're never going to be able to talk. You're always going to stutter. You're always going to lisp. But guess what? That's your perfection. And I'm going to be in that disability. What do you mean that's Moshe Rabbeinu's perfection? Because Moshe Rabbeinu had to talk, had to, had to talk and get Klai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. If Moshe Rabbeinu had a good mouth and he didn't stutter and he didn't lisp and he was like Obama, then the, the, the Mitzrayim would have said, God didn't do a miracle to take the Jews out. You guys had a fantastic speaker. And he got up and talked us all into letting you out. So Moshe Rabbeinu had to be the most miserable speaker. And that was, that's what made Hashem's godless even bigger. Because everyone said, him? He couldn't talk a, a mouse out of a, a, a mousetrap. He couldn't talk anything. He can't talk. So Moshe Rabbeinu, your imperfection is the perfection for your avayda, for your job in this world. And therefore Hashem said, you will see blind people in the world, and you will see deaf people in the world, and you will see Down syndrome people in the world, and you will see autistic people in the world, and don't go around saying, uh, fix it. Wake up in the morning and he's not down syndrome anymore. Wake up in the morning and she can see again. Uh-uh. That person 
Down syndrome is a child that carries a neshama that that child can never do a sin. So that neshama is being carried in a place, comes down to this world, and is guaranteed. It's always a tzaddik, a neshama of a tzaddik. Guaranteed, there's no gamble. You've got to come down to this world, spend your time. You're going to go up, and you're going to be misaka, and you're going to sit in Oyom Haba, because a Down syndrome child cannot do an Avera. And that's why tzaddikim, when a Down syndrome child walks in, stand up. Because their imperfection is their perfection. They are a perfect body. They are a perfect carrier, a perfect car for this soul. This soul cannot be hurt. My imperfection, I'm not changing. My imperfection is your perfection. And that's the lesson he told Moshe Rabbeinu. You want me to fix your mouth? If I fix your mouth, then you can't save Kleistrol anymore. Then I can't send you to do what you're, what you're supposed to do to get Kleistrol out. You're a good speaker? You can't do the job because then they're going to say the good speaker got us out. Which means that all the pain that we go through in life, girls, all the pain that we go through in life, that sometimes we dive and it should go away, go away, and it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And Hashem's saying, I'm not taking it away. But I gave you that pain. And therefore, I am in that pain with you. And we're going to use that pain. You need to go through that in order to do your task in this world. I went to speak in a drug rehab. And I walked in. And a guy walked over to me. He says, you're the speaker today? I'm like, yeah. He said, so what are you in for? I was like, is this a rehab or a prison? He said, no, like, like man, like, you know, like, what'd you do? Like, like you know, what'd you do? You, did you do coke? I'm like, diet or regular? <laughs> He's like, did, did you... Did you do heroin? Did you do, did you do oxy? Did you, you know, like, wh- like, what did you do? I'm like, Tylenol. <laughs> Once in a while, two Advils. He's like, you mean you never did drugs? I'm like, no. He's like, so why should I listen to you? What, what do you know? You never went through my pain. That's it. No matter what I would have said, I could have given him a speech. Mate! with stories, the red light story and the lawyer story and all my great stories, wasting my time. Wasting my time. There's no common denominator. I didn't go through their pain. I felt so distant, so different, so didn't belong, so they're not going to listen to me. I was thinking maybe I'll go out and, uh, you know, come back like two days later and say, well, I did something, you know. I, I opened a jar of Elmer's glue and I smelled it a little bit. Like, can I come talk to you guys? I didn't belong. I, I didn't go through what they went through. But there's some guy out there who did drugs for two years and turned himself around and went to rehab and turned himself around and went to yeshiva and went to Torah and grew up and had children and is a businessman and a tamachacham. And he walks into that drug rehab and they're like, Hey, man, what did you do? And he's like, coke, heroin, marijuana, hookah, this one, that one, you name it. I've done it all. And they're like, really? And you're married? Yeah, I'm married. I got kids. I got grandchildren. And you make a living? Come take, check, check out my car outside. And, man, you got good threads. Look at your dress. Yeah, and my Prada shoes and my Prada belt and, and my, my Brioni tie. And they're looking at this, and these guys are going, oh, my goodness. This guy did all that stuff, and he made it? and he's got grandchildren, I can do it too. So all the suffering that that person went through, that dysfunction, 
that disability is his perfection because now he's using it to save somebody else I can't save them I didn't go through it now that doesn't mean okay I'm going to do drugs and so now I can help people who do drugs the Rambam says that doesn't work if you do an Avera Almanas to do tshuva to help someone else you'll never do tshuva but someone who went through the suffering maybe it wasn't his fault right and he went through the suffering so Hashem doesn't fix it all of a sudden that it all goes away no you have to use that disability to help others Same thing as Balchuva. I go out of town, I go to speak. First question is, Rabbi Wallstein, are you a Balchuva? I'm like, I say every morning, Hashanah Maganu. No, but like, are, you, are your parents not religious? I'm like, I really feel bad. You know, my parents are religious. <laughs> you, mean like, you mean like your father isn't a priest? I'm like, not even close. <laughs> so the Balchuva says, like, So how could you talk to me? You went home at night, you had kosher food. You, 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 your parents wanted you to keep Shabbos. Your parents sent you to Yeshiva. How could you talk to me? I, I come from such a different world, Rabbi Wallerstein. They're right. I could talk to them. I could tell them stories. But that I'm a success or not a success has nothing to do with them. I come from a very different place. So a person's disability, his imperfection, is his actual perfection. There were only two lips that were ever kissed by God. And that was Moshe Rabbeinu's lips. And they were burnt and they were twisted. And there were the lips that stuttered. And Kosh said, I don't want to kiss Avraham Avinu's perfect lips or Yitzchak or Yaakov. Moshe Rabbeinu. The only person ever, the Medrash says, to have the lips of God, whatever that means. Kissed him when he died. Kissed him and pulled his neshama out that way. Hashem's lips on those lips. Not on perfect lips, on imperfect lips. But those imperfect lips were perfect for the job that they had to do. Said Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, you want me to fix it yesterday? You want me to fix it today? If I fixed it, then you're, you're, you're not going to be able to do what you came here to do. <coughs> so all the stuff we go through, all the imperfections and the disabilities and everything that we go through in life, we're going through it in order to use it to set an example for someone who's going through the same thing and to be a success. And you don't even have to give a speech. That person who went into the rehab, who got all dressed up and he's in perfect shape and he's got a family, he don't got to tell them stories and mices and chapetz chayims and, and musa or anything else. They take one look at him and it's all the musa they need to see. He made it and he was, had the same problem I had. You don't even have to open your mouth. That was the most unbelievable dialogue between God and a human being. Between God and Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, after everything said to Hashem, Fix it. Why don't you fix it? Why can't I get married to the next boy I'm going out with? Because you're not supposed to, for whatever reason. Whatever Akash wrote, there's a reason for it. I can't tell you the reason. I don't know the reason. But we have to understand, we have to believe that whatever suffering, whatever we're going through, there's a reason for it, and that's going to be our perfection. So I want to end with a two-second story story was with I'm not 100% sure I have it in my notes I don't know where I put my notebook the story was a very big tzaddik and he said the following story that, that when this, this tzaddik was a little boy he was 8 years old so he did Rabbaruch Ber when Rabbaruch Ber was 8 years old he did something wrong and his father smacked him 
And he started to cry hysterically. Little kid, eight years old, gets smacked. He started crying hysterically. He ran to his room. He took out a sitter. And he started to daven mincha. And he stood there davening mincha, crying davening mincha. When he finished davening, his father walked over to him and said, what, what, what are you doing? I smacked you. You're crying. Why did you, why did you daven mincha now? now? Why would this be the time to daven mincha? And he looked up to his father and he said the following. He said, I was crying anyway. I might as well have Davin Mincha crying. Think about what I just said. I was crying anyway. So I should waste this pain that I'm in, that you hit me, that I'm crying? No, if I'm crying anyway, right? It's huge. When you Davin and you have tears, it says that the, 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 the gates are broken and smashed in pieces. So he said, you know what I'm going to do with my crying, with my pain? I'm going to Davin Mincha with it. That was... He grew up to be Gal Hadar. He understood that with his pain, with his pain, he used it to get re- to get close to Hakadosh Baruch The pain that a person has, sometimes we say, "Hashem, please take it away, take it away." I've had it since I'm a kid. I have it now. I'm davening to you, and Hashem says, "I give pain in the world. I give happiness in the world." Sometimes it's the pain. It's the imperfection that is a person's perfection. This was Moshe Rabbeinu. And then when Moshe Rabbeinu went down to Klai Yisrael, and he was the leader of Klai Yisrael, and he had to deal with everybody's problems, one kid came up to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Rabbi, I want to talk to you. I'm depressed. I'm adopted. Oh, you wouldn't understand. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I understand. I was also adopted. And some other kid said, I was abandoned. I know what that means. I did someone a favor and they slapped me in the face. I know what that means. He understood every problem of every Jew that came to him because he went through every problem. So he had to go through all that pain in order to become a Moshe Rabbeinu. Sarah Imenu had to wait 90 years in pain in thinking she's never going to have a child. She had to wait 90 years to have a Yitzchak but at that point, she knew how to bring up a Yitzchak. Esav. Rivka had to have an Esav. Says the Medrash, why did Hashem change Esav? What a shame to the whole family. And the Medrash says Hashem didn't change Esav because his imperfection of being Esav will keep the Jews in line. Esav, son of Yisrael, we're always going to have an enemy that's going to be against us that's going to keep us in line, that's going to drive us to Davin Hashem, that's going to drive us to want Mashiach. Everything. Yosef HaTzadik was sold. He said it himself. The brother said, why did this have to happen? They made a decision. They passed that he deserves to be sold. Why did Hashem put that in their head? They said to him, Yosef, we made such a big mistake. Why did Hashem do this? Yosef said, because if you wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have been in Mitzrayim, and I wouldn't have been able to have food for the whole world, and the whole world would have died. The imperfection and the pain was only to make salvation. That's true in Munas Hashem. If 10 years ago, the morning when they did the biopsy, it would have come out benign, that wouldn't have been true in Munas Hashem. Miracle, great, it worked out. What I expected to happen, happened. That's not Emunah. Amuna is when I, when I expect it to happen, did not happen. 
and I still understand that for some reason, for some reason, this terrible pain of losing a father, there's a Yeshua in there, there's a Refua in there. If my father wouldn't have passed away 10 years ago, you wouldn't be here tonight. The reason that I started Chabura Tuesday nights for boys was Lezech Nishmas, my father. The reason we opened up Or Yitzchak, which is named after my father, Yitzchak, was only after he died. Everything I did was after he passed away. So even though I was screaming, I gave $7,000, it should be benign. HaKadosh Baruch was saying, this is your father's time. This is his time. And you're going to go through this pain, but you know what's going to come out of this pain? Or Yitzchak, or Nava, Ateres Nava, Benochaya, a whole different world, a whole different outlook in Chinuch. You think my father's upset? My father's very happy, but Leah and Hara. He's yard site very soon. So in that pain, I'm sitting Shiva, and I'm like, well, Moshe Rabbeinu asked, what do you want from me? Why did you change it? Why did you let him live? And Hashem's saying, I'm in the pain with you. From this pain, it's going to come a big gain. Just trust me. Just be a mata in my hand. And if you're a mata in my hand, be mavatal who you are, and you'll have the strength of a Baruch May we all have the schus to be the stick in Hashem's hand, to be plugged in, and to see Mashiach and Hera be a main woman. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.